The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning, I would like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we'd like to look at the prayer of affliction and the prayer of thanksgiving and praise. And then also the prayer of contentment. So, the prayer of affliction. And then, when God, if it is according to His will, if He sees fit to answer in a very special, powerful way, we should offer prayers of thanksgiving and praise to Him. And that uh, prayer of thanksgiving is just as important as the prayer of affliction as we're presenting our petitions before the Lord. But also, we pray according to the Lord's will. So we don't always know when or if or how the Lord may see fit to answer. So it's also very important, especially during this season, uh, for us to have the growth, because we'll see that contentment is a learned trait, okay? Contentment is a spiritual discipline that we have to learn. It doesn't come naturally. So I hope that you can learn to offer the prayer of contentment as well. So, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and uh, the first two chapters here in 1 Samuel are dealing with the account of Hannah and her burden of, for a time, barrenness for the Lord to bless her uh, with the child. And we see her petition in chapter 1, and then the Lord blesses in a special way, and then we see her prayer of thanksgiving and praise in chapter 2. Um, this is not necessarily the uh, premise of while we're considering this. I think that... Um, this gives a framework. Uh, the context here is barrenness of uh, a wife, but um, I think that this presents lessons and principles that can be applied in many different areas, uh, not just a, a barren wife or a barren woman. Um, but this text in this passage is obviously very near and dear to our heart because we have the added blessing of Thanksgiving because this is our first Thanksgiving here visiting Tyler Church with our son Zachary. That is the result of many prayers. And um, part of my process as we were going through that is for the last few years, I've really been working on it for quite a while, uh, studying a lot of different verses that deal with God opening and closing the womb and his sovereignty over the womb and the way that the Lord blessed with conception in many different areas. And I've been working on a document related to that. I'm working on putting the finishing touches on that and finalizing that. But this account here of Hannah and her struggle, again, gives the type of uh, pattern and disposition, I believe, that we should approach the Lord in prayer uh, to present our petitions, to give thanksgiving when he sees fit according to his will, to bless. Uh, but I don't want you, because... Uh, 
if this is not your circumstance in life, <laughs> right, of, of having uh, the desire for children and, and having, having a barren womb, it still applies to you, okay? So I want to make sure that we teach the broader lesson, right, um, through the story, through the account of Hannah and then the, the blessed birth of Samuel. So let's pick up here, First Samuel chapter 1. And we'll try to summarize this as much as possible um, to get to our main points. We find here Elkanah, and he has uh, two wives, Penina and Hannah. And uh, things never go well in the Word of God when there's more than one wife involved. There's a reason why the Lord said one man and one woman for one lifetime. And there's not a single example in the Word of God where there's more than one wife where they did something contrary to the command of God, and it went well. So... There's conflict, surprise, surprise, between the wives, between the women. And one of them is being, being blessed with children, which is Penina. And Hannah, this is uh, verse 4, where we find that Elkanah gave to Penina and his wife and of all of her sons portions. So Penina's being blessed with children. But then Hannah, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah but the Lord had shut up her womb. And that's very interesting language. As I studied out that, that study throughout the Word of God, it's, it's really amazing how the, this language is attributed to the Lord, that the Lord opens and closes the womb. And we find here that the Lord takes responsibility, if you will. He, he, he takes the firsthand account that He had shut up her womb. God is sovereign over the womb, and one of the main ways that, that the Lord sees fit to, to open that womb is through the power of prayer. And there's many examples of that. We don't have time to consider all of that this morning, but we certainly see that through the account of Hannah. Now, one of the reasons, I think, <clears throat> why this example is such a powerful example is because there's a lot of uh, circumstances in life where we desire something, we desire to have a... Uh, reach a station in life for uh, a very good and a worthy thing. And we're not talking about sinful things. If it's a sinful thing, you don't need to do that, obviously, if it's contrary to the Word of God. But there is things that we desire and that are according to uh, the Word of God, but we don't necessarily know in what pathway the will of God may manifest itself in a providential way in my life, what route that I'm called to take. But this struggle of a wife that's dealing with barrenness, it says in the Proverbs that there are three things that are never satisfied and four which never say it's enough or something like that. You'd have to look it up. You'd have to get the language just right. But one of those is a barren womb. So, the Holy Spirit in the Word of God says there is something, there is a specific occasion of life that some people have to deal with for a period of time or maybe even for uh, an extended period, maybe even permanently, especially in times past where they didn't have the blessing of medical intervention that we have today. But <clears throat> the Holy Spirit affirms that the barren womb is something that will never be satisfied. The Holy Spirit said that in the book of Proverbs. So, 
especially as we're, we want to, I think we've all experienced praying the prayer of affliction. Okay, we'll get there, but um, we, we certainly need to offer the prayer of thanksgiving. But I hope that we are expedient and we can spend most of our time focusing on the prayer of contentment. Okay, because especially as we get here uh, to the holiday season and we've kind of just passed Thanksgiving, uh, but that hopefully that Thanksgiving attitude uh, should extend all the time, right? And everything, give thanks, right? Uh, but especially this time of year, especially through Christmas and then leading up to the beginning of the year and New Year's resolutions, um, as you take stock, as you take inventory of maybe the last 12 months, or maybe you take stock and inventory of uh, the last few years, last five years, uh, your, the totality of your life. Um, I hope that you can evaluate where you're at, maybe see some things I could do better in the coming year, but also reflect back on the Lord's blessings in your life. And as you kind of go through that process, as you go through that process, our nature might lend toward discontentment if we're not where we want to be right now, okay? And every season of life, every season of life is vitally important. And you don't want to squander the benefit of a specific season being discontent because you're not where you're going to end up, right? Every season is beneficial and there, there is value and growth and blessings in every season of life. And you don't want to squander those blessings and growth being discontent because you're not where either you desire to be. And you may eventually end up there, right? But you don't want to squander this season for being discontent because you're not where you desire to eventually be, okay? <clears throat> but this is a specific circumstance that again, in the book of Proverbs, specifically says that there is a certain desire in the heart of a married wife that desires children. And, and if they desire that, they will never be uh, fully satisfied until they have that. And the Holy Spirit affirmed that this is arguably the most, uh, the most intense dissatisfaction struggle, so to say, that anyone can deal with here this side of heaven because the Holy Spirit says this is the thing that's never satisfied. It's just as, uh, just as much not satisfied as death, actually. And we know death is never satisfied, right? Uh, we are all appointed unto man wants to die. So here, Hannah is struggling with that. She desires a good and a wholesome and a godly thing to have children and to raise those children according to the law of God. But the Lord, for this point in her life, had shut up her womb, okay? And then her adversary, Penina, he, uh, she caused her to fret and uh, she mocked her and persecuted her, if you will. They went up to the house of God as was commanded multiple Times throughout the year, they were commanded to go up to uh, the temple to offer sacrifices. And as she was there, as Hannah was there, um, she, in verse 10, was in bitterness of soul 
and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction, this is the prayer of affliction, if thou wilt look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. He would uh, observe the Nazarite vow. <clears throat> now, part of the, the purpose of prayer, part of the reason why the Lord has structured discipleship in the way that he has, for us to pray for things according to God's will, not necessarily knowing how the Lord will bless and uh, exactly how the Lord's will will be manifest in our life is that through that process, we slowly become more and more conformed and submissive to the will of God. Okay? And she struggled in the midst of this season of life. And notice, she's not even praying anymore and saying, Lord, just give me a child so I can raise him, so I can do all these things. She said, Lord, if you just give me a child, I'm going to give him to you. If you, if you, Lord, I've, I've stopped the prayers of like, if you just give me a child, please, 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 because I can't wait to spend the rest of my life raising this child. She said, Lord, if you just give me a child, I'll give him to you. <laughs> you see how I, I doubt she started praying that way, if you will. Uh, I think it was through years of growth in the midst of prayer that she reached the point that I hope that you can reach in your discipleship as well to really understand that God's way God's will, God's timing is always perfect. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. And you can go read all those, those contrasting seasons of life. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to uh, plant, a time to harvest, a time to gather together, a time to break down. And he summarizes all that by saying God has made everything beautiful in his time. And I hope that you've been able to see that displayed in your life in the providence of God. But I doubt, we don't have this inspired for us in Scripture, but I really doubt when, when she first started praying for a child, I don't necessarily think she was saying, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you, <laughs> right? But she had been more conformed to the will of God. And one of the, way, one of the most important aspects of prayer is that as we continually submit to the will of God and hopefully see displayed in our life that the will of God is so much better than my own will and my own understanding and my own ways. Uh, I love Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. The Lord, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's certainly the testimony of my life. I devise my own way, but then the Lord in his overruling providence directs my steps in spite of my poor attitudes many times. <clears throat> But she's in bitterness of soul. She's praying to the Lord and she's weeping. But also she's, she's praying, but she's just praying to the Lord in, in her heart. She, her lips are moving, but nothing is audibly coming out. So Eli walks beside her. Eli, the priest, the judge uh, this time, sees her doing this and he assumes that she's drunk. Because this is a very at least in this environment, a very odd thing for someone to be doing, right? To be weeping sore and to be mouthing things, but nothing audibly is coming out. And he goes by her, and he immediately assumes that she is drunk. But then Hannah says, 
verse 15, Know my Lord, but I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. Of a sorrowful spirit. I desire this good, wholesome, godly thing. I desire to be, to be at a different station of life. And because of that, I said early on that she was in bitterness of soul. Bitterness of soul. You know, it's hard. We want to make sure, we want to make sure that uh, our joy and peace that we have in Jesus Christ is not fabricated. Okay, so when when you hear someone say that we should rejoice in the Lord always, right? That doesn't mean you just put on a, a fake, happy smile all the time and you don't acknowledge the reality of the struggle of life, right? She was in truly bitterness of soul. <laughs> but boy, it's hard uh, when you have bitterness of soul to not let that bitterness kind of seep into the rest of your life too, right? Uh, to not let that bitterness seep into your external actions. So she's in bitterness of soul, and she tells Hannah, uh, she tells Eli, I'm in bitterness of soul, but also she says, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit, right? I'm a sorrowful spirit. Now, what's our response when we feel that way? Well, the first avenue is prayer, right? To release that, those prayers back to them. This is one attitude and mindset I've been trying, trying to cultivate recently these last few months is from Matthew chapter 11, it, it describes us, uh, commands us to come unto the Lord, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come unto me and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I've been trying to make the mental picture as, I've, as I try to pray in the mornings, try to make the, uh, the mental picture of giving my burdens over to the Lord and then taking his yoke upon me. And as I've tried to, or the mornings that I have, tried to focus on that, it's been, it's been very liberating. Because uh, I don't want don't to divert and go over there to Matthew, Matthew 11. But, but you are going to have burdens and a yoke, okay? Uh, the nature of this world is in this world you shall have tribulation, Okay? You're going to have a burden and a yoke. But is it better for you to try to carry those burdens and yoke in your own strength? Or is it better for you to give those to the Lord and for you to walk in Christ's yoke that is easy and light? Now, you're still going to have burdens and a yoke. But his, but his burden and yoke is easy and light. <laughs> and if you're carrying your own burdens, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be light. Right? So when you feel that affliction, make the conscious mental decision to put Christ's yoke upon you, okay? And when you do that, I think that you'll feel a lightness and an ease that's much more than you trying to bear these burdens yourself, okay? So she responds in the right way. She takes that yoke and that burden and that bitterness of soul and that sorrowful spirit, and she gives that over to the Lord. And she is praying so fervently in the spirit that it looks really odd to even... This, Eli's not a very spiritual man at this point in his life, unfortunately. But even to a man who's supposed to be a very spiritual man, it looks odd to even him. Okay? <clears throat> now, Eli sees her praying and pouring out her sorrowful spirit to the Lord in this way. And then he says, go in peace 
And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Now, I don't think that he has the authority necessarily to speak on behalf of the Lord and say, you're absolutely going to have a child. I think he's essentially saying, you need to go home and trust the will of God. I think is what he's saying right there. Okay. But notice the, the effect of that. Again, I don't necessarily think that he is speaking on behalf of the Lord and giving her a definitive statement that you're going to have a child. I think he's saying the Lord's will be done. And you're, if you're approaching this in this way and you're delivering your sorrow of spirit to him, then the Lord is going to honor that. He's going to honor that prayer. But notice the effect of her pouring out her heart before the Lord in prayer in this way. Notice the effect of this. She said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight so that the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. Now, earlier on, Panina was persecuting her in such a way that she refused to eat. So she is so emotionally afflicted that she's not able to physically partake of food in a, in a normal way. But notice, because of her taking Christ's yoke upon her and delivering this petition to the Lord, giving and trusting the Lord with her sorrowful spirit, entrusting the Lord with her bitterness of soul, she leaves and she's not sad anymore. <laughs> she's not sad anymore. Why? Because I think she had a peace and contentment in truly submitting to the will of God. Okay? Now, we fast forward here and... The Lord remembers, or we'll see that verse, verse 19. They rose up in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house in Ramah and Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her and she conceived and called his name Samuel because I have asked him of the Lord. And Samuel ended up being a, a great man of God in a time of extreme ungodliness in uh, the conclusion of the time of uh, the time of the judges and then leading up to the beginning of the kingship of Saul. Now, if you remember, she committed that, Lord, if you give me a child, I'm going to give him to you. I'm going to commend him over to you to serve you in the temple. And then she weans him, verse 24, she weans him, and then she delivers the child Samuel to the temple in obedience to the vow and the commitment that she made. First Samuel chapter one and verse 26. She said, Oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. I don't know if you remember me last year, right? <laughs> I went up there yearly. I don't know if you remember me last year, but I was the one you thought was drunk. And notice uh, this uh, verse that's been a comfort to so many, comfort to us, uh, during our uh, prayers of affliction, that very common verse that's well known. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And then, Chapter 2, and now Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. 
My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Now, uh, she spends uh, the next 10 verses in the, in the prayer of praise, the prayer of affliction. And something that I've learned is that, you know, we, we just have such a tendency to take things for granted that, you know, we pray for something and especially something that's a great affliction and a great burden. And when it happens, we thank the Lord. We thank the Lord. But how many prayer, think about possibly the hundreds of prayers you've prayed of affliction. I think you should have just as much, if not more, of prayers of thanksgiving, of thanking the Lord when he does answer the prayer. Okay? So if it's something that you've prayed for for many, many years, uh, I hope you don't fall into the trap of just getting busy like we always do and saying, thank you, Lord, and then let me move on to the next thing. No. The prayer of thanksgiving is just as important as the prayer of affliction. And I would dare say that the prayers of thanksgiving should probably even be in higher quantity than the prayers of affliction that we prayed in the first place. Okay? That's one of the main points I want you to, to leave with is that the prayer of thanksgiving and praise is just as important as the prayer of affliction. But notice how commendable Hannah's faith is here. Because, I mean, it'd be one thing to pray this prayer when Samuel was born, okay? And she's holding that child in her arms and praise God for his deliverance and his salvation of allowing me to have this child. But she didn't, or at least the Holy Spirit does not uh, inform us that she prayed that prayer when this child was born. She prayed this prayer when she left him at the temple. Okay, we're not going to take the time to uh, deal with the whole context here, but but Eli and his sons, especially his sons, and Eli through his neglect, his sons were living in an extremely ungodly. They're, they're described as sons of Belial, and she was commending. She made a commitment and a vow to the Lord that He's going to serve you in your temple. But listen. That was probably the worst place for him to be spiritually, okay? For his spiritual health and his spiritual growth, the temple was probably the worst place for him to be. But she had made a commitment to the Lord, and she said, you know what? I'm not entrusting my child to Eli and his sons, right? I'm entrusting my child to the Lord because I've made this commitment. So she prays this prayer of thanksgiving, not when she's holding that baby after it's born. She prays this prayer of thanksgiving as she's left her child and she's only going to see him maximum of three times a year going back for various dedications and offerings and feasts. She's only going to see him three times a year and she's putting him in one of the most ungodly spiritual environments in all of Israel. Okay? But that is when she prays this prayer. And that, that displays so much faith in entrusting God with her child, right? <laughs> she didn't put any confidence in Eli and her sons because they, and it was very publicly known that they were corrupt, they were wicked, they, were, they weren't just secretly sons of Belial, they were wicked sons, and Eli just ignored it and allowed that to happen through his complacency and through his uh, passive nature, okay? But she prays this prayer of thanksgiving as she leaves him at the temple. Again, 
I know I'm beating a dead horse, but I want to emphasize the point. She prays this prayer, not when she has the child, but when she is not going to see that child, but maybe three times a year at best, leaving him in a very ungodly environment. So she was going to be deprived of the blessing of the physical presence of that child on a daily basis. But her heart was still rejoicing and overflowing to such a degree that she was able to say, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, and I, hey, you know, if I wasn't up in the spirit, I'd probably be this way too. If I made this vow and I'm dropping the child off, I'm going to be kind of bitter going home, right? Um, and, you know, we have a tendency to blame the Lord when things don't go our way and we're having to deal with things that are uncomfortable and things that uh, we don't enjoy having to deal with. What she's not doing here is blaming the Lord. She's saying, Lord, you're still good. You're still holy. You're still gracious. Even though I'm having to be, because of the vow that I made, I'm, I'm being deprived of the physical presence of this child that I love. I'm commending him over to you. But she's still saying, there's none holy as the Lord. And he's my rock. He's my rock. And he's my deliverer. And he's my fortress. And again, it'd be very easy, very easy for her to be discontented and to be bitter and to be blaming the Lord. That the Lord's forcing me to carry through this commitment I made <laughs> a couple years ago. But instead, she's approaching this with joy. Okay, now, uh, this is a, a great prayer of thanksgiving that I would encourage you to read all of it. Uh, but for time's sake, we will skip the rest of it. But I want you to notice how she makes this extreme sacrifice and this extreme commitment. She makes a vow. She carries through with a vow, even though it's going to be putting her child in a very ungodly environment. And notice how the Lord honors this. Okay. Let's go ahead and skip through to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and then verse 20. A few verses before that, it says that she went up and visited him every year and she brought him a little coat. <laughs> she made sure she uh, brought him some clothes, a new, a new coat to wear every year as he's outgrowing the coat she made for him last year. But that was really her, uh, the males were required to go up uh, three times a year, but don't know if the wives necessarily went with him. So maybe just once a year, maximum of three, but maybe just once a year, she's getting to see her child. But look at that extreme act of faith of following her vow, committing her child to the Lord, even in the midst of that un ungodly environment. And notice how the Lord honors this. Verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So she gave Hannah five more children. <laughs> okay? She was barren. Couldn't have, the Lord opens her womb. And by the way, when the Lord opens, when the Lord opens, no man shuts, right? When the Lord opens the womb, look what happened when he opens the womb. She had six kids. Okay? But... The Lord honors this, this act of faith of committing her son to the Lord in obedience to the vow that she made. And, she, and then the Lord honors that by giving her five children to love and raise at home. You see that? You see how good the Lord is? You see? Now, 
obviously we don't want to get down all these hypothetical rabbit holes. I'm not saying the Lord wouldn't have given her children if she showed, went home bitter, right? But she went home with a heart of joyfulness and thanksgiving, even though she would have been rightfully justified to be very discontented and bitter when she left the child there, right? But she went home with joy and praise and thanksgiving. And look how the Lord honored that in giving her five more children, okay? So, if you haven't experienced, if you haven't experienced the struggle of the bitterness of soul and the sorrowful spirit and the prayer of affliction uh, where you've just, you know, it's interesting. She says there that she didn't audibleize any words. She moved her lips, but she didn't say anything. You know, sometimes we can't get the words out right, but we just sometimes in prayer before the Lord, we just cry. We just cry. We just weep. But it's such a blessing to be reminded that from uh, Romans chapter eight that that's some of the best. <laughs> if you if you were struggling to such a degree that you don't have the ability to express in words exactly the burden and affliction of your soul, I can about guarantee you that that's probably the best praying you've ever done. <laughs> that's probably the best praying you've ever done because your the burdens of your heart are then elevated up to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you to God the Father according to the will of God. So if you can't audibleize the right word, the Lord knows the burdens of your heart. He knows the burdens of your soul. And if sometimes some of the best prayers we can pray is just crying before the Lord, just weeping before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit takes that and he makes intercession for you according to the will of God. Now, if you've experienced that, if you've prayed those prayers of affliction and you've wept in such a way that you don't have the words to express, and then when the Lord answers that prayer, oh me, you should have the same fervency of the Spirit in the prayer of thanksgiving as you did in the fervency and the burden of soul in the prayer of affliction. Right. So uh, it should be easy for us as we've hopefully seen the Lord uh, manifest his will and bless us as we prayed in that way. And then the Lord sees fit to bless us. Uh, I, I'm sure none of you have looked at that situation and just take the, taken that totally for granted. I'm sure you said praise the Lord. Right. But I would encourage you. To not just uh, say praise the Lord one time. If you've prayed for something for years upon years upon years, don't be thankful for one week and then move on to the next thing. <laughs> I've got in my prayer list uh, that we have, me and Bethany share on our phone, I've got a section of Thanksgiving that lists things that were years in the making, years of prayers that... Uh, went into things, and I've got them right at the top of my list. You need to, I don't want to get into Ebenezer Stones, but you need Ebenezer Stones and memorials to look back upon when you're struggling to say, I prayed for the Lord to bless in this way, and even though maybe I had to wait longer than I wanted to, and things didn't turn out exactly the way that I assumed that maybe it would happen on the front end, the Lord blessed in a special way, and I hope that you have 
those Ebenezer stones that you can look back on. And I would encourage you to have them up at the top of your, we always want to come before the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and prayer. Have them right up at the top of your prayer list. Because I would encourage you, if you, if you have those listed before your petitions, it's probably going to put you in a lot better confidence and frame of mind as you get to your petitions that you're struggling with today to be reminded that I prayed for this in the past. The Lord providentially blessed. Look what he did in the past. And by the way, that's, that's, that's the uh, hope formula in Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in tribulations because tribulations builds patience and then patience experiences. And we rely upon those experiences, which gives us hope. And then hope, the love of God is shed abroad, abroad in our hearts. And hope is intricately connected with faith. That all strengthens our faith to have more confidence in the Lord the next time. Right? Have more confidence in the Lord the next time. And that's part of the growth of discipleship. Um, Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was not called to sacrifice his son Abraham, his son Isaac, early on when he was messing up with Hagar, when he was going to Egypt and Abimelech and he was lying so they wouldn't kill him. No, it took years upon years of him seeing the faithfulness of God in action. And it took him about 50 years of growing before he finally said, okay, Lord, this doesn't make any sense in the world. (laughs) But you said it. And I'm going to do what you said, even though it didn't make any sense. But it took 50 years of experiences to strengthen his hope and to build his faith to where he was willing to be obedient when the Lord told him to go offer his son on Mount, on Mount Moriah. Okay? Okay, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> so, it's, it should be easy for us to give thanks when the Lord moves in a special way, in a providential way, and gives us the desires and the burdens of our heart. It should be easy for us to give thanks to God for that. But the real struggle, the real struggle is, as I pray according to God's will, what if he doesn't give me what I perceive is the right thing for me? Or if he doesn't give me what I perceive the right thing is for me in my timetable or in my timeline. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also thankful and you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. I want you to understand, Philippian church, I'm thankful that you were generous to give in a financial way to provide for my needs. But don't worry about me because I'm not lacking anything. I'm not speaking in respect of want. Why? Why? Because I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now notice he says here, I have learned And whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Contentment is a learned trait. Discontentment comes pretty easily, right? Bitterness comes pretty easily. 
That's part of the nature. That's part of the flesh. But it takes, and, and by the way, how do you typically learn? You typically learn through lessons, right? You typically learn through life lessons. And notice the circumstances, and he, he lists off a whole lot more in the Corinthian letter. But notice just the ones that he, he highlights here that he learned to be content in. To be abased, to be hungry, and to suffer need. Okay? So when he did not have all the food that he wanted, when he's suffering need, when he's struggling with all these various things, through the circumstances of tribulations that he endured in the past, and the Lord had consistently uh, provided for him. I, I know that the Apostle Paul never saw this song, but I guarantee you he would amen it if he, if, uh, if he was singing it today with us. Great is thy faithfulness. And one of the lines in there is, All I have needed, thy hand has provided. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. And that's pretty much the lesson that the Apostle Paul had learned, right? I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry, but guess what? The Lord's given me just enough to keep me going. I'm hungry. I'm not full and content. But you know what? Well, I say I'm not full and content. I'm not as full as I'd like to be, but I've learned to be content even though I'm hungry. Okay? So what happens? What happens if we have not necessarily reached? And it's different for everybody, you know? Different for you based on your season of life. Different based on your own providential guidance of the Lord's will in your life. Whether it's desiring to be married or to have a child or to receive uh, achieve some professional benchmark you know graduating college or re receiving some accolade I want you to understand that whenever you if, if it is the Lord's will for you to be blessed to achieve that you will find that that is not when you have achieved it or when the Lord blesses you to receive that by his grace, you will find that whatever that is will not give you ultimate contentment and joy and satisfaction. Even the most blessed things in this world, marriage, children, uh, some degree of professional success, <laughs> but the kingdom first, but some degree of professional success. Whenever you achieve that, you will look back and say, you know what? It's a blessing, but... My completeness, this is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. You're complete in him. Your completeness is not in achieving something that you desire or, or that you see is the best thing or you perceive is the best thing for you in the future. Your completeness is in Jesus Christ. We're not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of Jesus Christ. So if my contentment and my sufficiency and my completeness is identified not in some personal benchmark or professional benchmark or, the, or even that everything's all nice and cozy and, and happy in the circumstances around me, if all of that is tied up in Jesus Christ, well, Jesus Christ never changes, right? I can do all things. It's, you know, most, one of the most popular verses in all Christianity. Don't miss where it comes, comes, comes at, right? It's in response to him learning contentment. 
Now, how can he learn to be content in any circumstance? Because it doesn't matter what circumstance I'm in, Christ can give me strength and grace sufficient to endure that, even if I'm not where I desire to be. Okay, I want to hit a couple, couple more verses as quickly as possible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a thorn in the flesh. And this is the messenger of Satan. So he didn't ask for this. God didn't send it because it's the messenger of Satan. But he suffered it. He suffered it to remain. And the Lord would never suffer anything to remain in my life that would cause me pain or discomfort, right? No, that's how you grow. That's how you grow. You grow through pain and discomfort and suffering and seeing the Lord providentially bless all in the midst of that. Okay? So he says here, as he's describing his uh, the Apostle Paul's struggle here with this thorn in the flesh, that's the messenger of Satan. He asked the Lord three times to take it away. Lord, I know it's not your will for me to be uncomfortable with this thorn. Lord, please take it away. And, and notice this sanctifying effect of how he grew in submission to the will of God. The beginning of his prayers, prayer number one, was, Lord, this thorn is very painful. Take it away. What was his prayer by the end of it? I wish I could spend more time to express this, uh, spend more time on this to express it better. Verse 9, this is the lesson he learned through the sanctifying process of him understanding that even though the Lord is suffering this thorn to remain for the purpose of his humility, that he would not be exalted above measure, as well as his personal growth and sanctification. This is what the Lord told him. These are, if you have a red letter Bible, these are the words of Jesus. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, something that I've learned or that I'm in the process of learning <laughs> is that much of faith is confidence and trust that God's grace is sufficient. Okay, now, if you feel like that I'm going to pray this prayer, but then I have to go and perform 95% of the logistics. Now, I'm running out of time here. Contentment does not equal complacency. Okay, so you don't say contentment, I'm contented, so I'm not going to strive to work hard to improve my station. I'm not going to strive to work hard to, uh, to achieve a good, God, godly, wholesome thing that I desire. So contentment does not equal complacency. But at the same time, you can't look at that and say, okay, Lord, bless me to do this, but now I'm going to go handle 95% of the logistics. Now, he expects you to go work hard and do stuff, right? But notice, faith is a confidence and a trust that God's grace is sufficient. Because when you go and you take all your burdens upon yourself and you try to execute everything, what you're saying is, Lord, I don't trust that your faith, that your grace is sufficient. Okay? My grace is sufficient because this is what he learned. <laughs> this is the thesis. This is his doctrinal, uh, uh, doctorate thesis that he finally understood through all of his suffering. This is what he arrived at. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches. I take pleasure. Now, he doesn't say I'm excited for it to happen, but you know what? I can see the end result of that. I can see, I can approach tribulations with joy because I can see the end result of experiences and the end result of the strengthening of my hope and the strengthening of my faith. I can look toward, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw the long-term benefit and vision and he was willing to endure the temporary suffering because of the vision of what he would accomplish by enduring that, right? And that's how, that's how you have that vision to endure these things. That's why, why he can say, I will gladly take these infirmities because I'm not focusing on the infirmity. I'm focusing on the growth that is the end result of this sanctifying experience by me humbly submitting to God's will in my life. And that is a lifetime learning experience, right? <laughs> None of us have got that mastered. Um, and Satan is always trying to make us bitter and discontented because we're not where we desire to be. And he wants us to squander this season of life that we're in. And I hope during this holiday season, I hope you can be thankful for the Lord's blessings in your life. But also, I think some... The, the happiest you can be, let me leave you with this thought. The happiest you can be is to be content. First Thessalonians, uh, First Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. True riches, true riches is not how much money you have. True riches is serving the Lord in godliness and being content with the things that you have. That is true riches. Because there's a lot of people that got a lot of stuff, <laughs> but they are not content at all. True riches is godliness with contentment. Contentment. And I hope we can learn the lesson of contentment. That even if we're not where we want to be, who knows, where we may end up. <laughs> you may end up there a year from now, three years from now. We don't know. Uh, your circumstance is different. But even if you're not where you want to be, you can still be the richest person in the entire world with godliness, a godly manner of life, with contentment. So I hope we can learn that lesson. We can learn that lesson that I've learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.